In June, after serving three years of a four and a half year uh, sentence, Palmir Hakim Zada was released from an Ontario prison and he was denied parole on the grounds that he posed too much of a risk. Yet, he was still uh, released from prison. Uh, according to our friend Stuart Bell, our global news uh, investigative journalist who joins the show right now, uh, he obtained this information by going through the Freedom of uh, Information Act and asking for documents uh, for from the Ontario Parole Board. Welcome to the show, Stuart. Good to have you on. Good morning. So this is one of those situations where people roll their eyes and think, how is it possible that someone... Um, that is convicted of trying to join ISIS, was released from an Ontario prison in June after the parole board said that he would constitute a risk to society. Well, I mean, he was released because his sentence had expired. He had, uh, by June, he had served the two-thirds of the remaining portion of his sentence, and there was really no choice but to release him. But um, what's troubling is that just a month before that, he had been deemed uh, uh, an undue risk to society. And it's hard to imagine that within the space of that one extra month, um, there was a significant change in in, uh, the sort of danger that he might pose. So, I mean, it raises all kinds of questions. Uh, This is hardly the first time that we've seen um, similar decisions about whether people serving time for terrorism crimes were actually prepared to return to society. And it does raise, as we say, all kinds of questions about um, sentencing and about uh, the the kind of de-radicalization programming that takes place within Canadian prisons. What was he convicted of exactly? Well, he had, in 2014, he had traveled to Turkey uh, in an attempt to join ISIS, he was caught. Uh, he was actually turned in by a cab driver who uh, who figured out that he was on his way to the Syrian border, and he was returned back to Canada. Um, he, uh, according to the <clears throat> to a bail hearing that was held and documents that we obtained about that, uh, he said very disturbing extremist. Uh, he expressed very disturbing extremist sentiments um, and said that he wanted to go back to uh, to Syria and, in fact, was caught again at the, the Toronto airport trying to board a flight to Istanbul. And so the consequence of that was he was charged with a single count of um, leaving Canada to uh, participate in terrorism, as well as an assault uh, charge. So, uh, and by the time that came to uh, court in February, he uh, was basically sentenced to an additional six months on top of the time that he'd been waiting, uh, you know, waiting in pretrial custody. And and that sort of led to his, as we say, his uh, being released in June. And now he's on probation, required to undergo de-radicalization counseling. He's not alone. Your story points out there are others that are out that are a high risk to public safety. Well... There's been a number of cases where people that have been accused of being risks to public safety have nonetheless been released. Uh, there was there was a case earlier this year uh, involving Kava Mohammed from uh, just Durham region uh, who also had traveled to Syria to participate in terrorist activity uh, and also got a, a four-year or so sentence, which um, you know he ended up getting out. Uh, less time than that, um, 
despite having been found by the parole board to pose a danger. Is there no protocol to keep these guys locked up, Stuart? Well, I mean, no, because once you serve your sentence, your time is up. But the question perhaps is more in terms of the sentences that are being handed out for these types of crimes. Um, they're relative to the United States. They're very, very short terms of imprisonment. Um, the types of things that um, Canadian courts are sentencing uh, accused to sort of three, four years, these are things that would in some cases be lifetime sentences in the United States, for example. Um, and then the other question is, you know, what's happening to these um, inmates when they're in custody? Is there anything to try and disabuse them of this kind of extremist ideology they've bought into? And the reality is there really isn't. Um, and there isn't, uh, you know, any requirement for, for them to really undergo any kind of uh, counseling of that nature until they're on probation in this case where Hakim Zadar, for example, is required to, um, to meet regularly with a, an imam in Vaughan to, uh, to try and work on his ideology. When in your uh, your column here about it, when he pleaded guilty in February, prosecutors wanted him to serve six years. But on February 28th, the judge sentenced him to four years and one month, saying he'd taken responsibility for his actions and had been a positive role model. Did you look any deeper into what they meant by positive role model? I think the judge in that case was referring to an, a large number of letters of support that uh, his family and community members had provided to the court. Um, although, as the Crown pointed out at the case, not a single one of those letters acknowledged uh, that he had uh, adopted you know, ISIS-type ideology and um, you know, had traveled to Syria in an attempt to join this group. So there was there seemed to be some frustration on the part of the Crown during the the case, um, and again, I mean, there's another issue here which others have raised regarding the degree to which Canadian courts, particularly lower level courts, are really prepared to deal with terrorism cases. That whether they have the kind of background and understanding to recognize that uh, terrorism is kind of a distinct crime from just your ordinary run-of-the-mill uh, criminal activity. So the takeaway from this story then is that we need to look at maybe getting tougher with our sentencing. Well, I think it does highlight and raise questions about the the length of sentences that are being awarded in terrorism cases, uh, as well as, like I said, the complete, almost complete lack of programming that's available for inmates that are radicalized to try and move beyond that type of uh, violent ideology. What do they do in prison? Well, there really is no specific... In Canada, there's no specific uh, de-radicalization programming. Hmm. Corrections Canada has made a decision that it's not necessary, that they can deal adequately with the underlying causes of radicalization through existing programming, which some you know, would criticize quite strongly because right. uh, clearly there's a difference between a crime that's committed, you know, somebody stealing um, for their own gain, monetary gain, as opposed to committing a crime that's for some higher ideological, religious, political purpose. These come from very different places. And, um, uh, you know, in other countries, there's a much greater recognition that uh, the kind of work that's needed to help inmates 
get out of that kind of thinking is distinct. Uh, it's not just the same as trying to stop somebody from you know robbing a gas station. Mm-hmm. Very different. Stuart, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate your time today. Thank you. It's Global News Radio 640 Toronto.